want to thank you for being here today. We've got some visitors with us today, first time, I think. We're glad you're with us. Um, be at home. Um, we're kind of a crazy bunch of people. That's just who we are in the Lord. Um, thank you, Mr. Reuben, for being here today. Man had two stints put in his heart this week, and he came to worship God today. And so, uh, you know, I was in on that a little bit. I, I got the report that Mr. Reuben was not going to be able, they were not going to be able to do anything to his heart. He had some blockages. And people kept praying. And God made a way, a different path, into his body where they could get into his heart. And what seemed impossible became possible. And, uh, you know, that's the way God works. I want to draw your attention to Proverbs 12, verse 2, for just a moment. Solomon wrote that a good man will obtain favor from the Lord, but he will condemn the man who devises evil. A man will not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will not be moved. I, I love that. The root of the righteous will not be moved. Tony Evans makes a comment about that, and he says, in other words, no schemes or plans of the wicked will succeed, nor will they give them safety or security. The righteous, and, 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 and by that, I want you to understand that in our own deeds, our own flesh, none of us are righteous. The righteousness that he's talking about here is the righteousness that has been applied to our life that comes to us from Jesus Christ. He says, the righteous, on the other hand, need not worry about securing themselves or establishing a support system. Their roots go down deep, and they will never be moved because the Lord secures them. The Lord does that. Now, that truth and that reality is what the Apostle Paul was praying for and praying about as he prayed for the believers there in Ephesus. He wanted them to understand this. They needed to get it. They needed to understand the importance of the favor of God. And guess what? We all need to understand that. We need to know about the favor of God. We need to understand it. We need to live in that. We have a God that loves us and cares for us and, and has great favor for us. The Apostle Paul wrote, When I think of the wisdom and the scope of God's plan, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven, and on earth, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. Notice this. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Don't be a surface Christian whose roots are right on top, those kind of trees get blown away. Let your roots go down into the love of God. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love really is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great, 
you will never be able to fully understand it. And then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I want you to understand Paul knew about the favor of God. Many others did. David was one of those that understood the favor of God. He wrote in Psalm 16, verse 8, I know the Lord is always with me. I love that. I know the Lord is always with me. No matter what comes, no matter what goes, no matter where I'm tossed, the Lord is with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. David understood the value of taking refuge in the presence of God. He wrote in verse 7, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Now, for someone to guide you, they've got to be out in front of you. You've got to be able to see them. He knew that the Lord was guiding him. He said, even at night, my heart instructs me. David had confidence in the path that was before him because he had confidence in God. He well knew that God would continue to guide him and instruct him as long as he drew near to the Lord. I remember dad used to saying, son, come on, follow me. Because <laughs> if you get too far behind, you get lost. Follow me. David knew that God was pleased with him when he chose to live his life near to to the Lord. God's favor comes to all who draw near to him. What did James say? What did he write? Draw close to God and God will draw close to you. The Bible says, what can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God, who gave us Christ, also give us everything else? Oh, we wring our hands and we wonder, am I going to have what I need? Is it coming? Christian, what are you going to need this year to be successful? What are you going to need to be successful? Do you need better health? Do you need a successful surgery? Do you need your doctor to say to you that your disease is now in remission? Do you need a new job or a new car or a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend? <laughs> hey, pup, puppy love is important to puppies, right? Do you need your father to love you or your mother? Do you need your husband to want to be with you? Do you need your boss to like you or at least change his thoughts about you? Do you need a judge to rule in your favor? Do you need a lucky break? Do you need to win the lottery? I would say don't waste your time, please. Charles Stanley said this. He said, perhaps as you arise today, there's someone on your mind who you wish would look upon you with grace and partiality. 
Maybe you wish to experience this person's approval, receive his or her encouragement, or obtain some gift or opportunity. It would mean the world to you to have his or her favor because then you would have the support and the esteem that you long for. I'm sure you remember the story of Joseph. Joseph was the youngest and the favorite of his father. Genesis chapter 37, verse 3, it says, Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his children because Joseph had, be, had been born to him in his old age. So one day he gave Joseph a special gift, a beautiful, a beautiful robe. Now, different translations uh, imply that he was given a very long, colorful coat, a coat of royalty. Now, no other brother was treated with the same favor that Joseph got. And because of that, they hated him. Literally, they hated him. And so one day they tore off that beautiful coat. They, they ripped it into shreds. And they sold him into slavery. And he was taken down into Egypt. And from there he wound up as a slave in the house of Potiphar. Now Potiphar was a very important man in Egypt. In Genesis chapter 39 verse 1 it says, Now when Joseph arrived in Egypt with the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, a member of the personal staff of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard, so he had a very important position. Notice verse 2, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. And Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. So Joseph naturally became quite a favorite of him, of Potiphar. And it said Potiphar soon put Joseph in charge of his entire household. And he entrusted him with all his business dealings. Imagine doing that to a slave. Folks, life was good for Joseph until one day when he was falsely accused of trying to sexually abuse Potiphar's wife. We know that story and we know who the guilty party was. It wasn't Joseph. But verse 19 says, after hearing his wife's story, Potiphar was furious. And he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were kept. But the Lord was with Joseph there too. And he granted Joseph favor with the chief jailer. Before long, the jailer put Joseph in charge of, of all the other prisoners. Imagine that. And, and over everything that happened in the prison. And the jailer had no more worries after that because Joseph took care of everything. It says the Lord was with him, making everything run smoothly and successful. Joseph was a successful man because of the divine favor of God. It's been said about Joseph, he was like fine cream. It didn't matter how much turmoil was in his life. He always would rise to the top. That's what cream does, right? The good stuff. The kind of stuff that will give you a heart attack. <laughs> no, 
the, the reason was it was because of God's favor on his life. You can see throughout Scripture the benefit of the favor of God. It's, it's in the Bible everywhere. Moses was another one of those men who enjoyed the favor of God. You can see God's favor in Moses' life as he faced the dawning task of leading God's people, his chosen people, out of Egypt and into the promised land of Canaan. He desperately needed God's help in getting Pharaoh to, to agree to let those people go. And you know, you might think that Moses needed Pharaoh's favor for that to happen. But instead of softening Pharaoh's heart, making him favorable to Moses, God did just the opposite. In fact, I want you to pay attention to what God told Moses that he was about to do. Look at Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, God ever said anything to you? Listen to what he says. He says, Pay attention. My dad used to say that to me. Pay attention, son. Pay attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh. Now, if you know anything about the Pharaohs of Egypt, they considered themselves to be God. And so for God to, to make Moses seem like God to, to, to Pharaoh, you know, there's competition there. Pharaoh didn't need another God around him. He didn't want to share anything with him. But he says here, your brother, Aaron, will be your prophet, and he's going to speak for you. Tell Aaron everything that I say to you and, and have him announce it to Pharaoh. He will demand that the people of Israel be allowed to leave Egypt. But notice verse 3. He said, but I'm going to cause Pharaoh to be stubborn so that I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so I will crush Egypt with a series of disasters after which I will lead the forces of Israel out with great acts of judgment. And when I show the Egyptians my power and force them to let the Israelites go, they will realize that I am the Lord. You know, God's wisdom in doing this the way that he did was to teach Moses and also the children of Israel that they did not need the support of some earthly person who had limited strength and resources and wisdom, but in fact and instead, Moses needed the counsel and favor of Almighty God himself. Now, there's a lesson in this for us. We can learn something from this. Because the same thing is true for us. You know, there may be someone on your mind, you've been thinking about them this week, that you desire their approval or their favor above everybody else. Their name just sticks in your mind, in your thinking. You may be even asking God to turn their heart around so that they favor you. I personally um, know of several times that I've prayed for God to, to change somebody's thoughts about me. Yeah. I, I remember asking God to change the minds and the hearts of school board members and even school superintendents when we were still meeting at Carrollton Elementary School. I, I remember that vividly. Uh, we, we had a school board member 
back then in, in one of those years that was a pastor who, if he had had his way, he would have kicked us out the next day. He had a really ugly attitude about us. And, and I, I remember a, a school board superintendent that came in that gave his decree that all non-school related entities had six months to find another place to meet. I mean, he was, he was ready to kick everybody out. And I remember praying, asking God to change that man's heart or else find him another place to be, if you know what I mean. I was a little more specific with God. Now, here's the beautiful thing. God changed that man's heart. He changed Dr. McPherson's heart to favor us. He went from being an adversary to being an advocate for us. Dr. McPherson and his wife became our church's friends, and, and they actually attended worship with us several times around Easter for a couple of years. And, and in the, the following years, the last years of his administration here, he personally signed and approved our rental application every year and just pushed it through. So God did a lot of things. He changed a lot of things in that man's life. Praise the Lord. There's a whole lot I can tell you about that. He and I became some, I won't say best friends, but we became friends. And that's, that's, it's beautiful to see God change that. But you know, here's what I learned through all of that. I learned that the favor we really needed was not the school board members and not even the superintendent. Uh, the favor that we needed as a church was the favor of the Father above. And what we needed was the fact that He alone could do and give us His very best. We needed His faith. I like what Charles Stanley wrote. He says, as a child... Of the most high God. You have the support, the grace, and the favor you need to succeed in everything that he will give you to do. So do not fear, do not fret. If others reject you, rather rejoice that the only one who really counts loves you always. Loves you always. God said in that day, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people, and I will care for the survivors as they travel through the wilderness, and I will again come to give rest to the people of Israel. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Robert Kate said to the ancient Hebrew, God was known primarily by what he did. It was their experience of his acts which became the revelation to them of his character. He writes that we find almost no philosophical reflection in the Old Testament concerning the nature of God. However, its pages are filled with descriptions of what God did of how people met him in their daily lives uh, this being so it should come as no surprise although it often does that the Old Testament is filled with descriptions 
of the loving acts of God. He showed his love simply by what he did. Again, Jeremiah 31, 31 verse 3. It said, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with loving kindness. If you do a word study in the Bible, you'll find that in the Old Testament, there are two words generally used to describe the loving acts of God. The first is the Hebrew word ahabaha. Y'all know I can speak Hebrew, did you? Ahabaha. It's a word that if you translate it, it just means love. Love. It was most often used describing human relationships rather than divine relationships. But it does focus on a love that is a definite choice, an active choice, a deliberate decision, and one that is meant to be unconditional, even to the point of loving by sheer grace. It is a word that describes the love of a friend that will never, never, ever end. Thus, we get the words everlasting love. Your best friend is God, folks. And he loves you with an everlasting love. But there's a second word. The far more common word that's used to describe God's love. And that is the word hesed. Hesed. I wish Dr. Lee was here, my Old Testament professor. He, he could put that accent with it. You know, hesed. This is the word that most often referred to a divine human relationship. And it's a word that's really difficult to translate into the English language. The reason for that is that it is so difficult to comprehend the full range of God's love for us. The range. And it's really hard for our minds to stretch that far. We seldom, if ever, see that kind of love in human relationships. I, I think probably the closest thing would be a mother's love for a baby. And for you pet owners, I would say maybe your pet's love for you. I mean, you stop and think about it. I can get on Esther, and I can chew her out or smack her, you know, with a fly swatter when she's doing something she doesn't need to do. And, and 30 seconds later, she's licking me. That's her way of saying, I love you, Daddy. And I say, put that back in your mouth. <laughs> There's no single term in our experience that really comes close to describing the Hebrew word hesed. You're going to find it translated in your Bibles as loving kindness. Mercy. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Mercy. Loyal love, steadfast love, faithfulness, the faithful love of God, covenant love. The ancient root meaning of the word appears to, to have an eagerness coupled with steadfastness and mercy. It's, it's a, an Old Testament word that the usage, it, it's developed from the idea of mercy and, and loving kindness. It was clearly seen. In God's love where he chose to hold on to Israel even when they were faithless and rebellious. 
Time and time again, Israel broke their side of the, the covenant, that covenant agreement with God, but never one time did God break His promise to them. He is always faithful, even when we are unfaithful. You know, God was stubborn. Imagine that. God was stubborn in His commitment to love them no matter what they did. And oh yes, there were times that God had to discipline them because he loved them so much that he refused to leave them wallowing in their sin. He always did what a loving father should do. I'm reminded of Psalms 103 verse 1 where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Robert Kate goes on to say Israel's ultimate hope for the future rested not in the ability and, or the accomplishments of the people, but in the fact that God was loyal. He would not let them go. I, I would say he wouldn't let go of them. He wouldn't throw them away, but he certainly wasn't going to let them go either. He was constantly pulling them back to himself. Kate says their hope was found, founded upon God's declaration that he would make with them an everlasting covenant, an everlasting agreement. You know, we, we have a hard time comprehending that. Because most of the time when we, we make deals with people, the deal falls through, doesn't it? That's because we're human. He is God. He doesn't operate like we do. Praise the Lord. When God says it's everlasting, it's everlasting. That means he's going to love you no matter what you do. Hmm. Through Isaiah the prophet, God said, come to me with your ears wide open. I kind of think he's talking about the ears of our heart. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen for the life of your soul is at stake. He said, I'm ready to make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the mercies and the unfailing love that I promised to David. I guarantee you that was a promise to the nation of Israel. But because God's word is timeless, it is a promise to you as well. Friend, it was and it is the, the hesed, the loving kindness of God that sustained their faith in the good times and in the bad times. It's no different with you and me. God will always be loyal, steadfast, and merciful to us who come to him by faith in his son Jesus Christ to make our relationship right with the Father. God will always have special favor for his people. You can apply that 
like an ointment to the nation of Israel and certainly to the church and to Christians and to every one of you who believe in his son. Every one of you. So let me ask you this question. I've kind of already asked it, but I want to make it a little bit more personal. What do you need to be successful this year? What does our church need for us to be successful this year? Do we need the favor of our government? Do we need the favor of a certain president or a certain political party? Do we? Do we need for our community as a whole to like us because you know we are Southern Baptists? Hey, there was, a, there was a time years ago, 20, 25 years ago, when churches were taking Southern off of Baptist. Because the further north you get, the greater connotation that has. And they just said, we're Baptist. And then they stopped doing that. Yeah. Do we need Town Bank to have as much favor toward us as Farmers Bank has always had? Think about that. Do we need more people attending our service, our services and joining our church? Do, do we need our members tithing more so that our offerings are larger? Do we need more Sunday school teachers and more classroom space to be successful? Do we need better preaching and grander music and, and sweeter fellowship and a greater presence on the Internet? Do we need somebody out there in the world to look at what we need and then stroke us a check. Think about it. I actually had a former member years ago come to me and encourage me to write a letter to Joe Luter and ask him for a couple million dollars so we could buy some land and build a building. I've been encouraged to apply for federal grants. But listen, my Bible has taught me that that is not God's way for the world to finance his work. He has done that. He can do that. He might do that, but that's not the norm. Are you hearing me? The norm is this. God always puts the resources in the hands and in the pockets and in the bank accounts of his people to do his will Whenever he tells them what to do. God said you must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves. There's that word again. God loves. God favors the person who gives cheerfully. Cheerfully. It's not the amount. It's the way you give it. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will have, and then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God says, Now, therefore, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. So let me ask you. Are you hear, hearing God speak to you? 
I, I, I'll be the first to tell you, um, I'm almost 70 years old, and I've never heard the audible voice of God. But I hear God. I hear God. Is God speaking to you? Is the Father drawing you into a conversation? Is He communicating to you His will for your life? Is He revealing Himself to you? Is He confirming what He would like to do in and through you? It just might be that you are desperate to hear the Father speaking to you right now because of some problem or some temptation or some conflict that's tearing you apart. And you want to hear from God. Can I just encourage you not to give up? Please don't. Don't give up. Even if you're struggling and you've been struggling for a long time and, 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 and God seems to be silent, don't give up. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep putting yourself in a position to where you can hear God when He does speak. And it might just be that He's speaking, but you're not in a position to hear it. Don't give up. Here's why. It's because God loves you with a loving kindness, with a faithful love, with a divine favor, with mercy, with loyal love, with, with steadfast love. So because God loves you, listen, he makes it possible for you to know his plans that he has for you in any given situation. Romans 12, 2. I hope you've got it memorized. The New Living Translation reads this way. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, there's another word right there, a four-letter word. Then, circle that word, then, let him change the way you think, and then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. The message reads this way, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. In other words, don't let the world be your default. When trouble comes knocking, don't default to the thinking of the world, but instead think about God. He says here, instead fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down into its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. He brings out that developed, well-formed maturity in all of us. Friends, God knows exactly what he wants you to do with your life. He knows exactly what he wants you to do with your life. And God has gifted you for this very moment. You may be thinking, God can't use me. I, I'm here to tell you, God has given you what you need for the moment. And he's not going to ask you to operate in the dark concerning his will. He certainly wants you to know and do His precious will. I, I know some of you, you've come to me and you, you've asked me to pray for you. Some of you want to know what God is, is, is wanting you to do with your life. You're wanting God to reveal that to you. Well, let, listen very carefully. Please understand what I'm about to say. What God intends to tell you 
may be so crucial that he requires you to be completely focused on him. That's what I meant about about a while ago. You've got to be in a position to be able to hear God. God may be already speaking his will to you, but you can't hear it because you're distracted. There's too much going on in your life. God wants your undivided attention. What does he really want? He wants you. He wants you. So listen, you you may be waiting for God to shout to you. I doubt very seriously that God shouts. My, My experience is that God whispers. And he talks real softly. But you gotta be listening. You're going to have to be focused on him to hear what he says. He may be asking you to wait a while before you get your answer. But any time that you spend waiting on God, it gets you in a position to hear what he has to say. God wants to pour out his divine favor upon you so that you can be successful at all that he's called you to do. You say, Brother Randy, how do you know that's true for me? That's true for all of us. What does the scripture say? Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Did you hear that? Did you hear the promise that God made to you there? It's really clear. This is a promise for every one of us. This is his assurance to you. This is the promise of his divine favor toward you. Listen, it would be totally out of the Father's character for him to want you to do something and not tell you what it is. God doesn't operate that way. I like what Charles Stanley said. He said, when you look at the promises of Scripture, it becomes clear that the Lord is not merely disposed to showing you what to do, but he is actively seeking to reveal his path of life to you and empower you to walk in it. Why? Because he wants to walk with you. He wants to be right there with you. Do you remember what God said to Jeremiah when he was a teenage boy? Because I get this all the time. Well, I, you know, I, I'm just too young. God, God's not speaking to me. Well, yes, he does. Yes, he does. God said to Jeremiah when he was probably 13, 14, 15 years old, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you. Boy, we could, we could spend a long time unwrapping that, but let me just say this. What God was saying to Jeremiah is this. Jeremiah, you haven't even been conceived in the womb yet, but I already have a vision for what your life is going to look like and what you're going to do and what you're going to accomplish. In other words, I got a plan for you. I got a plan. I got a purpose for you. He said, Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as my spokesman to the world. In other words, Jeremiah, I got a call on your life. 
I was talking to Brother Dennis about that earlier. God puts a call on our life to be a pastor or a missionary. But I got news for you. Everyone in this room has been called by God to something that he wants them to do. Every one of you. Don't feel left out. You're important to God. And he's got a work for you to accomplish that only you can do. And if you don't do it, it gets undone. It's left undone. I look at verse 6, and I hear how Jeremiah responded to the Lord. He said, oh, sovereign Lord, (laughs) I can't speak for you. I'm too young. Some of you are going, I'm too old. I'm not a good speaker. I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know how to study scripture. I don't know how to teach a Sunday school class. I don't know how to be a witness. I'm not good at talking to people. I don't know how to do what my heart is telling me, Lord, that you want me to do. Therefore, I just can't do it. What did God say to Jeremiah? Don't say that. Don't say that. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of people, for I will be with you and take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then it says, then the Lord, Jeremiah said, the Lord touched my mouth and he said to me, see, I have put my words in your mouth. So it's not going to be you speaking, it's going to be me speaking. Guys, I'm a living testimony that if God can use anybody, he can can use me, he can use you. Um, I wish I had more time, I don't, but. I, I, I would just simply say that God began preparing me to do what I do when I was 17 years old. He began preparing me to teach and to preach and to be a pastor. And, and, and boy, you're talking about raw material. There was nothing experienced about me whatsoever. And then he clearly defined that call for me when I was 30 years old, 29 to 30 years old. By that time, I had a wife and two kids. Yeah. I had a good job. I had the best job I'd ever had in my life. Welding on the Navy base with a huge future. We had land. We had a home. We had family. We had friends. We had dreams. We had plans. Everything was laid out in front of us. We were busy living life. Do you know what God taught me? You're never too busy to be called by God. Never. Never. You're not too young. You're not too old. We walk by faith. As we serve the Lord. And if you want to know what God's will is. He will likely give you that one step at a time. Day by day. 
God called me into ministry. I, I, my, my calling is very different than Ronnie's. It's very different than Art's. It's very different than Dennis's. God calls in, in, in different ways. If you'd asked me when I packed up everything and headed to Bible college what God wanted me to do, I couldn't have told you. I didn't know. But he tells you that step by step, day by day. Isn't that what he did to Abraham? He said, pick up and leave. And every day, God gave him the instructions for the next day, and the next day, and the next day. I can tell you this, that God can use your life to make a kingdom difference, and he will. We have all the favor that we need from the promises and the faithfulness of God. His favor is what makes you successful. One of the things that a wise professor taught me years ago was that where God calls, God provides. Where God calls, God provides. So I, I, I close this this morning simply by asking this question. What's God calling you to do with your life right now? There's something. He doesn't call people to sit in pews or chairs. He calls us to stand and to serve and to share and to speak. What's God calling you to do? Here, here's the better question. How are you answering God? I can't do that. Or yes, Lord, send me. The favor of God falls on those who draw near to the Lord. Will you do that today?